You're listening to Our Evolution with Linda Damita. Unscripted conversations from the heart with everyday thought leaders and great minds of our time that assist the global community on its healing journey towards conscious living and positive change. Because our evolution is a revolution, a revolution of love. People visit Sedona looking for answers, guidance, or a spiritual awakening. They're seeking because oftentimes they're facing what we call the dark night of the soul. Now, some of us experience many chapters in life that become dark nights of the soul, and it doesn't just happen once. Trust me, I've had a few, and there may be more to come. And as much as I say to myself, I'm not looking forward to those moments again, Those moments are when the universe, the divine, the quantum field, whatever name you call this loving intelligence that most of us refer to as God, is calling to us for healing and awareness so that we can expand and grow into the best version of ourselves. Now, there are many modalities and practitioners in Sedona who offer services in what they know and Some of them are really great at it, and there are plenty of buffoons, quite frankly, and they proclaim to be able to heal this and heal that for you, and they may even have the best of intentions, but no one can heal you but you. Mindy Mendelson is somebody in Sedona who has an incredible story, not only of how she came here, but I tell you, after three decades in the Red Rocks, She is truly one of Sedona's tribe who walks her talk. Her expertise as an astrologer is a divine gift, and I've encouraged her for years to put it out there because this modality, this science that she is so adept at, is a powerful tool to assist people on their path of healing. And many don't understand astrology. They're afraid of it. They judge it as evil, demonic, or even new age. And they're so far off the mark because of their fear. Now, we talk about that in this interview and we go over the history of astrology, which is really worth a listen. And for people who are willing to expand outside of their limited beliefs or those who are seeking some guidance. Mindy is an authentic, articulate, educated, powerful force of nature who knows astrology intimately. So this interview is for you. And she's truly part of the original spiritual tribe in Sedona. Here's my conversation from late February 2022 with my dear friend, Mindy Mendelssohn. First of all, I want to just say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Mindy, for being here today. I am with uh, Mindy Mendelson as I introduced her before this podcast started. Um, I've known Mindy, how long have I known you? I think, well, uh, we've known who each other were before we actually like knew, knew each other. Right. Um, oh, nine? I think okay. I think I think something like that when yeah. I did, uh, was it when I did the first vagina monologues? Yeah, and you did it. 
I think the first time I had you was year three, which would be 09. No, that would be um, 08. Wow. Because, I, yeah, it was somewhere around there. So, so Mindy's been in Sedona for 30 years. 30 years. She's got me by five years. I've been here 25. And <clears throat> she's been a mover and shaker in this town in so many different ways. And I'd like to start with your background um, th and how it led you to Sedona and then where you're at today as an astrologer, because you're you're an incredibly powerful woman, not only as a writer, but as an astrologer. I mean, the work you've done with me has been she, well, literally like I ran into her at the grocery store a couple of years ago and she spent like an hour and a half talking to me in the aisle about my chart and where I was at in my life and like just gave up her time for me. And it was so special. Um, but I've sat with Mindy. We've we spent time. She's done everything from what was it? Second City. I was in the Second City Touring Company. Touring Company out of Chicago. I mean, we'll go over this. So, so you're originally from? Well, I grew up in Lansing, Michigan, but my mom was from outside of Chicago. So I would go in and out of Chicago on holidays. Mm -hmm. And then I went to college at University of Chicago. And Second City was originally a group of students who are socialists, that word that's such a buzzword now, who want to do theater for the people in the 1950s. And so every freshman class goes to Second City. That's part of what they do during orientation week because they take great pride in being the seed and the origin of that. And I had done theater in high school and knew I wanted to be an actor, but I'd gotten into this high-powered college and my dad, you know, wanted mm -hmm. me there so I couldn't, like, not go. So I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, I want to do this. And that's, um, I was 18 then. I didn't actually audition for Second City until I was almost 25. Um, you know, because life, I was in school, my dad died. I'd gone back to Michigan and was doing theater there after my dad died. Um, there is a woo-woo story as to how I got into Second City, but that I don't think is unique to me, meaning how things happen. Mm -hmm. But I had taken a job managing an art gallery after my dad died. And done really well. So they transferred me to a um, larger store outside of the Detroit area. And foolishly, one, I thought, ooh, city, because I'd miss cities. And one, it was in the suburbs. Um, but two, it, it just wasn't the same. And I was miserable. And I was driving along, and I heard this voice in my head going, why are you doing this? You always said you wanted to go do Second City. And I thought, yeah, wow, I want to do that. But, man, it's October. That's retail hell. I can't leave them. That'd be irresponsible. I get fired two days later. Mm, how oh, convenient. Well, no, no, it gets better. So over Thanksgiving, we'd gone to visit my grandmother who lived in a suburb outside. And so I was downtown for the first time in three years. And I was going to call Second City to see if they were offering classes. And I picked up the Chicago Reader, which uh, is a free newspaper. I'm assuming it's still there. Who knows? Did the world. But it used to have all the auditions, jobs, apartments, gigs, et cetera. And there was a ad for an audition, for auditions for Second City. So now, mind you, I've heard this voice. I'm in Chicago for the first time in three years. If I hadn't been fired, I wouldn't have been there. Um, I call and I audition and I get in. And at that time, they didn't just call you. They sent you out letters. I got it on Christmas Eve of 19, that would have been 1985. Um, so, and that's how I landed at Second City. Wow. Yeah, totally woo-woo. Yeah. The universe just kind of constricted everything <laughs> in your favor <laughs> to get you what you really wanted. Well, and I think, see, and I, if I start bringing in astrology, um, so the first time... 
I got a reading. I was 19 at University of Chicago, and I was miserable because I was 19. And it was <laughs> because an, you were 19. <laughs> well, I think that 19-year-olds have a lot of angst yeah. about how they feel things should be done perfectly. There's just a lot of drama and angst. And I went and got, I barely knew I was an Aquarian. I went and got a reading, and the the woman, I don't even remember her name, had to be back this circle with hieroglyphics all over it. And I was 19 in, in a lot of pain. I was actually quite depressed. And I thought, being 19, that I could figure this out because, heck, I was an archaeologist. I knew how to look at, you know, hieroglyphics. Um, and I could fix everything wrong with me. That's 19, too, because... <laughs> You know, we were not going to do what our parents did, that kind right, of crap. Right. And um, and that's how I started studying. And But it didn't really progress. My dad died in 1984, again, when I moved back. And that was such a spiritual dark night of the soul for me. You were really close with your dad? I was really close with my dad. And that year was hell anyway. I mean, um, four weeks before um, my dad died, my fiancé broke up with me. After I took him out to breakfast, because ostensibly at the time I'd gotten the role he wanted in Jesus Christ Superstar, because they ca I know they cast two Simon Zealot and Herod as women, and I was cast as Simon Zealot, and he broke up with me. But the real thing that was going on was uh, I liked men, and so did John, and that was a bit of a problem. And it was 1984, so there was a whole year we were going back and forth. So that happened. Then two weeks later, he tried to commit suicide. Oh, no. Then my dad died two weeks after that. So it was, I was in agony, and that propelled me to figure out something bigger. And in my case, astrology happened to be my gateway. Right. It gave me a way of looking at myself outside of myself, of seeing the world differently. I mean, that was my entry. Um, because I was just in so much pain, there had to be a change. So, so how long were you in Chicago, and then that time that you were with Second City— how did that lead you and astrology, uh, you know, into astrology and then into Sedona? Well, I was practicing. Um, I actually became a professional astrologer shortly after I uh, quit Second City. Um, and at that time, I was waiting on tables. It's when I landed in the Artist Way class with Julia that at that time was called Healing the Artist Within. And that's Julia Cameron for people who aren't familiar. Right. Um, it was 1987. And her book was then called, um, or the course. There wasn't, yeah, there, it was a course. There was no book. And it, it was called Healing the Artist Within. And it became The Artist's Way, which is super famous now. Right, right. And it was, we actually, she went to Kinko's, her first rough, rough draft. I still have. Um, that first class I was in, I think week 11, she went to Kinko's and bound it up into a book and we all bought it for five bucks, you know, that's awesome. Kinko's copy. Um, so I was still doing astrology and I, um, at that time professionally somewhat, right. And I went back to film school and then I <laughs> couldn't go back the next semester. I was waiting on tables a lot, what out of work actors do, um, because I hadn't paid off the previous term's tuition, and they're kind of funny about letting you back if you haven't paid your bill. Right. And so um, I went looking for an internship. Oh, wait, wait. Sedona was before that. So, all right. So here's the honest way of how I ended up in Sedona the okay. first time. Okay. All right. I'd read about it, and a friend of mine had gotten married, and I couldn't go back to film school, and I was waiting on tables. And the place I worked at had these big windows, 
And I was leaning in them thinking, God, I feel lost. I wish I could go to like Stonehenge or the pyramids. And then I remembered Sedona that I just read about. And I thought, wow, I could drive there. So there's like this little cartoon bubble outside of my head. (laughs) And this guy walks up that I have a crush on. And he says to me, so what are you thinking about? And I go, well, Sedona, I might drive there. And he goes, oh, take me with you. (laughs) Of course, because I wanted to spend time with him. I made sure that happened. So there's the really powerful way that I landed in Sedona the first time. And so, and so, so then how did that segue that in? So here's what happened. We were, it was, uh, 89. We were on, um, on my birthday, we were on Bell Rock. And at this time, Sedona had one stoplight, right? There went all the pathways. Where was that? That was just at the... At the Y. There was a stoplight at the Y? There was a stoplight at the Y, and that was it. That was the only stoplight in town. If anybody comes to Sedona or you're listening to this and you think you know Sedona, the Y, <laughs> as we the did... Is, is what we did in the What we did in the last Vagina Monologues, was, or one... I think it was the last, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. It was the big O. It's kind of like a... It's now there's two roundabouts there, but it used to be called the Y because it was where 179 met in the middle of town and split off into 89A. Mm-hmm. And so that was the one light. Yes. So you were here with when there was one light in Sedona, and you and you and were on Bell no, Rock, <laughs> right? Well, and let me just say there was no traffic. Like I could have in the winter crawled across 89A, <laughs> been moving slowly, Tim Conway slowly, and not be hit by a car. Right. But we're on Bell Rock, and I am so frustrated that I'm just waiting on tables. To me, it was a metaphor for my life. I was waiting for something to happen, and I said to Jay. You know, I just want a job where I get to be more creative and I get more attention. I feel so invisible. And then we got back to uh, Chicago and I, you know, couldn't afford to go to film school. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go look for an internship in production. And I called a friend to help me put my resume together because at that time I wasn't even good at doing that except for theater. And in the year we'd kind of been out of touch, she'd started working at the biggest agency in Chicago, the Gettys Agency. And she goes, well, I think we could use an intern. And I thought, well, that looked good on my resume. So she sets up an interview, and um, I walk in, and I sit down, and out of Elizabeth Getty's mouth is, so I hear you're an astrologer. And I think, oh, screw you, Susie, (laughs) because I'm sure this woman now thinks I'm a flake, right? Right. And... The truth was her mother was a big person in the American Federation of Astrologers, which is housed down in Phoenix, and she ran her business by it. And her birthday was the day after mine. And so we chatted about that, and then she told me, I want you to know I'm not going to hire you. This is an unpaid internship, and you have to be really closed-mouthed because it's a very competitive industry. And I said, no problem. This isn't the end of the business I intend to be in. Two days later, I knew I was going to work there. And somewhere around... and. Let me acknowledge, I worked my ass off, right, to be indispensable. About a month later, she asked me for my birth information and gave it to her mother who told her to hire me. Oh, my God. And my primary job was I directed all the audition tapes that went between New York and Los Angeles. I would spend eight hours a day in the taping room. So I got to be more creative. Bell Rock Wish 1 and Bell Rock Wish 2. When you become an agent, it's literally like you have just gone from being the pawn on the chessboard to the queen. The power, you have the power. And you're visible. And so I was no longer invisible. That's great. And that's literally what happened. And, um, I mean, she was an incredible mentor, Elizabeth Geddes. And, uh, 
Getty's closed. They retired. She and Anne. Anne, her sister, ran the um, the agency in Los Angeles. Elizabeth ran the agency in Chicago. They retired. I don't know. I want to say about ten years ago, and closed the agency. Wow, that's like the end of a legacy, right there. Right, right. Sure. Especially two women. You know, mm-hmm. um, it was so unusual when they started out for an agency to be run by two women, a big agency. So astrology came into your life after your dad died. And you were miserable and you were in a dark night of the soul and it helped you. And then it showed up again through somebody else who's her mother. That's incredible. Being that doing that and saying hire her based on your astrology. And then how'd you end up doing astrology here? Well, I, um, Jay and I, who did end up dating, um, came out here on, uh, vacation about nine minutes, nine months after I started working there. And I started thinking about um, that I wanted to move here and it made no sense, right? Um, and it kept growing and it kept growing. I came again. He and I broke up. I came again. Um, and it didn't make sense because suddenly I'm in this great position. I have a boss who's a wonderful mentor. I'm learning so much. It changed the way I looked at the industry. It changed the way I looked at myself. Um, I'm respected by Elizabeth as an astrologer and meeting others. Um, but I can't get the image out of moving to Sedona out of my mind. And and no one thought it was a good idea. Not my family, not my friends, not my boss. Elizabeth. Because, because it's such a small town at that time with, and with, there was nothing going on? Well, and how are you going to support yourself? Right. You're walking away from a career that you've wanted, that you've worked so hard to build. I'm, I, I was very good at directing those tapes because I was a actor director who had gone to film school. So all of a sudden people were being sent to network and flown out a lot more. And the actual nail, the final nail in the coffin actually was, you know, it doesn't matter how large the town is, the actual entertainment community within it is small. And people started hearing about more actors from Getty, whereas Gettys were getting flown out to network. So they started approaching me about how to teach them how to do on camera. Mm-hmm. And I went to Elizabeth, and she said, well, let me think about it. And she came back and said, I am so sorry, but you can't do this. It's a conflict of interest if you're working with any actor that's not at our agency. She's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was the nail in the coffin because being an agent was great. It taught me a lot, but you cannot do anything creative because it's a conflict of interest. So it was really like waiting on tables again, only all your fun friends are now at the party. Right. And so I moved here for what I thought was a two-year sabbatical. Um, Right. I moved here in January of 93. In July of 92 was when The Artist's Way was published. I'd actually been teaching it a full year prior to that. And that was at Julia's request. She suggested you yeah, teach Julia it. Julia suggested I, Kathy Churry. Um, I can't remember who else. There were like five of us. And um, so I started teaching Artist's Way here, and it expanded. And see, this is the thing. It's the universe. Like, if we go back to what happened with me with Second City, what happened to me with the Gettys Agency. Um, actually, here, I also worked at a place called Health Spring Center. I was their resident massage Reiki person. I don't know if – I don't like doing doing Reiki, but I'm trained there, too, so I never talk about that. It's so funny because I never knew that. I'm, I'm trained in, like, four <laughs> different healing modalities. At one point, I was a certified massage person, and I just discovered that I didn't like doing hands-on work, gotcha. me personally. But – I was teaching Artist Way, and I'd put a tiny, this was before kudos, right? I'd put a tiny 
tiny press release in the Red Rot News. And Kudos is our local like entertainment magazine. It's a it's a little newspaper. It's gotten smaller since mm-hmm. COVID, but um, anything that's going on with arts and entertainment, in it, it's in there. But this was before Kudos right. existed. So the Red Rock News, our local newspaper, comes out on Wednesday and on Friday right. and has a very tiny readership. Right. And I received a letter at HealthSpring Center that said, Mindy Mendelson, the artist way, care of HealthSpring Center. Someone who is organizing the International Reading Association Conference had gone through town, read that press release, and invited me to apply to be the keynote speaker at the... 1997 International Reading Association Conference. So I ended up, and that's the year I also went back to Chicago um, and taught for nine months and um, was improvising. I was trying to decide whether I wanted to stay here. Uh, And so I ended up being the keynote speaker at the International Reading Association Conference. Jeez, I mean, like, wow. But there's the, (laughs) right, and it's not, exactly. And the thing is, I think this happens to everybody. We're just, you have to get good at listening. Listening to what's happening around you and seeing the doors in front of you. I, you know, yeah, they're, they're fantastic, but I know how to pay attention. Or I don't. I didn't listen to that voice that said, you need to go do Second City. So it got me fired is how I look at it. Mm. Um, not it got me. But I, I believe, segueing into astrology, I believe that we, this is common for all astrologers. We pick the moment that we're born, right? That's common no matter what is the field within the discipline, I mean, within the larger discipline of astrology. However, what I've come to believe over 35 years now of being a professional, and I continue to study, that the planets have been moving at the same rate of speed since the beginning of time. Yeah, there's this whole woo-woo voice thing I have happened like it did to me in the car. That's always happened to me. But astrology is different because it's mathematically very, very, very precise. And the rate at which the planets move, so for example, the moon goes through all 12 signs once a month. It's got a one-month cycle. Saturn is a 29.45-year cycle. Pluto is a 248-year cycle. Mars is a two-year cycle. So the minute you're born is a snapshot of where the planets are. And how you do predictive work is you do use different mathematical formulas to compare basically... If, for example, right now the United States, and this is not a political statement, this works no matter which side of the fence you're on, is going through its first Pluto return, 248-year cycle. Pluto rules death and rebirth. I think that's enough said right there. Right. So it's taken that long for Pluto to get all the way back to its original spot. The planets have been moving at the same rate of speed since the beginning of time. Uh, In late 2020, there was something called the Bethlehem Star, which was when Jupiter and Saturn came together. The last time that had happened was the year 1225. Prior to that was when Christ was born. So these have been measured forever, too. I think our soul, not our conditioned personality, picks our chart. And I believe it knows the timing of everything. I'm with you on that. I believe that, too. Right. Which is why I think astrology has always been so important for me. So I got a question for you, though, about this. Because you're so good at explaining things. Mm -hmm. There are people out there who are afraid of astrology. Yeah. Whose religion, spiritual beliefs have taught them or indoctrinated them or prophesize or whatever that astrology is somehow um, new age. <laughs> um, and new age always gets a bad rap. 
um, that it's new age, that it's evil or demonic or how, how can you provide um, an understanding to people to help them not be afraid of astrology, but more to understand it and its origins and how ancient it is and that you can be any religion, you can be any spiritual belief and astrology can still be a powerful tool for you not because it tells you what to do with your life, but because it's a like a guide. It kind of helps you to understand things. Can you elaborate on that? Um, yes, and I'll also add. And the planets aren't <laughs> the planets aren't making you do anything. You're the one doing it, right? Right. So astrology goes back all the way to ancient Mesopotamia, ancient Egypt. Um, I will also say it was actually taught in major universities until the late 1700s. That includes Harvard and Oxford. Um, what you have is you're, you're talking about cultural changes. You know, if we look at just the formation of the Catholic Church, for example, uh, if um, we look at the Dark Ages, where there were actually over 4 million women burned or beaten or killed that were herbalist midwives, not just astrologers with the label witch. Um, we then have the Reformation and Martin Luther. And, you know, so things were seen as a sin. It was a way of controlling people. Even if you go back to the Catholic Church, it was the Roman Catholic Church. It was the ruling body of Europe to the point that when Henry VIII wanted to divorce Catherine of Aragon, his first wife, the Pope said no to a divorce. So he formed his own church because the only person he had to answer to was the Pope. And um, a great example, I think, you know, um, Johannes Kepler was an astrologer. Copernicus was an astrologer. Isaac Newton was an astrologer who was an extremely religious man. Um, he, act, you know, the founder of gravity and calculus was an astrologer. It was seen um, and revered and a science until we hit the so-called age of reason. And that's when they actually split science and spirituality. Mm, which I believe is now coming back together. It is certainly I'm in studying that and experiencing yeah. that where where science and technology are able to measure and identify what used to be considered miraculous. And here's the irony. The reason there was a split between science and spirituality to begin with was Rene Descartes. I think therefore I know. Um, he wanted to autopsy bodies and it was considered desecration to do that. He was trying to learn about anatomy and the church wanted him for something. I'm sorry, I don't remember what. And thus, they made a deal and they split. It's kind of like Fish on Friday was set up to help the local fish economy. There, it was a political body. It was about more than beliefs. And now, for people today where they're afraid of it or they, they think it's evil, if you do it, it's... it's I mean, I, I, I have people I love dearly who have issues around astrology and I identify it as something like literally demonic. And I and I and I want to help in, enlighten their their that burden of believing that. Right. Well, it's you know for me one I pr I totally appreciate that, and I think you know I, I I feel for anyone and 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 I'm not just speaking to religious people, you know who we ultimately have to live with is ourselves. So that tells us that their interior world is full. A fear because you're making a fear-based decision with something you know little to nothing about. Whether I don't care if it's astrology, I don't care if it's cooking. I mean, it could be anything. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, the other thing that's really interesting, just sort of historically, is if we go back to Greek and Roman times, it was, and there's a great TED talk with Elizabeth Gilbert. She talks about the diamond of creativity, genius. Uh-huh. That was considered a diamond. It was spelled D A I M O N. Um, uh, there was a, a book called The Golden Compass that was made into a film with. Nicole Kidman, they took the word diamond. It was the idea that we all came in with this being that helped guide us. Uh, James Hillman, was, who was a Jungian psychologist, wrote a best-selling book in the 90s called The Soul's Code that speaks about this powerfully. One of the things the church did was they split diamond. They made it demon, and then they split it into demon and guardian angel. Oh, my goodness. I did not know that fascinating huh I read, i've read the golden compass it's a beautiful beautiful story right and it's it and it's just but that's what they that's, that's what they did right and yeah yeah and and the um the golden compass is a fictional book i of course i think i learned about it originally in the souls code the james hillman book um but i honestly can't tell you because i've known for so long now <laughs> yeah you know but it's but it's that interesting thing where we're taught to believe certain things and then we think they're true and we all have a habit that's what a habit is it's an unconscious assumption about the way life works yeah and the thing about that i have found with astrology for me personally is when i like when i've when i've gotten a reading with you or any of my other friends I may not always understand what's being said or like, I don't get, I, I, I have no clue. Like you can say Uranus is here and Pluto there and da, 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 da. And it doesn't, what I get is the essence of what you're saying. Okay. So this means this in your life. This is where you're at in your life, or this is what your chart says. This is, and now at this point in my life, after years and years and years of, of having astrology done, I am understanding what all those meanings and all those planets and all those houses are what it's meant for me in my life and what I'm supposed to do. Like my literally like my purpose. That's why I'm doing this podcast Mm -hmm. because, um, the way my chart is set up, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be in communications. I'm supposed like, that's my highest purpose, I guess, Mm -hmm. right? Your North node. Is that what it is? I believe if I'm remembering your chart correctly, your North node is in the third house. So, Right. And the third house rules communication, but most importantly, if your North Node is there, it's about finding and using your voice as well as listening. That's and, and I'm not saying that personally to you when I say that, but we come back to being able to listen to the feedback that the mirror of life is for us. Totally. No, that makes sense. I'm learning how to be a better listener. Well, I hear there's an astrologer I deeply respect. He's like one of the Mick Jackers in the field, a man named uh, Stephen Forrest. He's an evolutionary astrologer. And I heard him recently in a podcast um, speaking about his North Node, which is in the sixth house of health. And he just went to a doctor. um, He hadn't been to a doctor in years. And let me just say how well-known Stephen is. He doesn't even see people in person anymore. He does teach. He just does readings where he record doesn't do it on Zoom. One, you know, one and one at all. You're just getting a recorded thing. He's a three year waiting list. That's how famous this What's man his is. His name is Stephen Forrest. Stephen Forrest. He wrote a book. His first book that was published that he became known for was called The Inner Sky. I think it came out in eighty seven or eighty eight. It's a very easy, great beginning book too. But it's evolutionary, which is a particular viewpoint in astrology. And um, but anyway, he was talking about he hadn't been to a doctor in years, and there are all these problems going on with him and again north down the sixth house and his statement was well, you know with the north node wherever it is in your chart you're basically dumb as a post <laughs> and the sense of humor and the south node the opposite end they're also known as the dragon's head and the dragon's tail is 
are represents kind of the emotional horse we came in on. It's uh, and I'm going to credit another astrologer with this comment because I would be stealing it otherwise. And it's a brilliant comment, and that's a man named Michael Luton, who's another. Like I said, these are the people that have been studying and researching. I've been for 40 years. They've been doing it for 60 years mm -hmm. and continue doing it. His statement about the South Node was, "It's what you would have finished in a past life if you had had just five more minutes." Oh, I totally feel that when I think of myself. No, I totally right? feel that. Yeah. And it has talents and gifts. It's not that you're supposed to just give it up, but it's that thing you're finishing. And then the North Node is the unfamiliar area. And anything unfamiliar isn't as comfortable. We go back to what we know. That's how we fall into a pattern again and again. Right. You know. So so one of the, the things that Mindy and I have done together is, um, I think I did three shows three vagina three or four i think it was three mindy um how many years did you do it 12 10 10 years in sedona she produced cast directed um the vagina monologues and if you're not familiar with the vagina monologues um or you have a problem with the word vagina <laughs> you need to read the book or see the vagina monologues um eve ensler uh is the founder she wrote she wrote the book and um uh, it's basically a series of monologues. She did. She traveled around the world and interviewed women um, of every race, color, age you can imagine and background and then shared their stories in the form of monologue. And it's a very, very powerful show. And uh, Mindy is an incredible director and very, very good at taking everyday women, which most of the actors in the show every year were. There were a few of us who were professionals who had actually acted before. And it's even more fun for us to be in a show like that because you really um, get to see other women blossom. And, and all the experiences that I had with, with you during the show, um, we, there was a very deep bonding that happened with me and my, between me and the other women. Mm -hmm. And some of them, I mean, I'm still, you know, on Facebook with, and even though we don't see each other all the time, there's always that connect. And there's a deep amount of healing. And the purpose of the show was to benefit the Verde Valley Sanctuary for Women, correct? Well, the purpose of the show here was that the um, Vida um, charity was um, to stop violence against women and girls worldwide. And the way the, when she was doing, she's now pulled the rice for vagina monologues, even though V-Day is still there. Uh -huh. um, Ninety percent would stay local. Ten percent would go back to the international campaign. And they only had full four full time staff members. The money, you know, like um, there was a film at the film festival a few years ago talking about uh, the city of hope uh -huh. in Congo with women who had been raped so many times. Mm. That was a V-Day project that paid for that. That's fantastic. Yeah, they've it it made let alone wa raising awareness um, about the experience of women internationally, including in this country. We like to pretend it doesn't happen here, um, but the statistics are just as alarming here. Yeah, it's a it's a very powerful show. What got you started doing that? What made you decide to do that show? Well, I'd look at it. Um, Brenda Edelman, when she was in town at the time, um, approached me about doing it I didn't you know so I directed because I was the director and you know certainly acted in it but we you know co-produced um the first two years and she moved back to Los Angeles at the time mm -hmm. and occasionally she would still come back and do the show right because she say and I'd say sure come in you can come in tech week and we can work you know before then but it and then um 
the first year I was not. After that, I was on the Verde Valley Sanctuary Board. And honestly, I've worked um, since I was in college. I'd worked um, for advocacy uh, with issues around women. Um, and it's not, again, we love you all, man. It's not to take away from men. It's just that's, I know, well, certainly there's things that have happened to me, but I know so many women um, who have gone through various things. Um, and so that just happened to be an area that really spoke to me. And then recently, mm-hmm. we um, just this last year, a few months back, we did a show together called The Awesome Difficult Work of Love. And I have a podcast. It's one of my first with Adrienne Torf, mm-hmm. who is um, a brilliant musician and her former partner, June Jordan, um, who is a, a famous poet and women's uh, rights activist and actually a social activist in mm-hmm. general um, who passed away. She, you know, Adrienne has been a steward of june's work and created this show and that again was a very very interesting and powerful experience from a personal standpoint um we we as the uh, storytellers for this had to write our own story and it was so hard for me to hear you say now i need you to go deeper you know, you're, you, you're hiding because I was doing it in the form of poetry and you're like, no, you're hiding behind the words. And I had such a hard time with that, not on a personal level, but just hearing that. It's like, am I doing that? Am I really doing that? And it was an excruciating process. And you had emailed me once I sent it over to you after like, uh, I just was pulling my hair out and having a, you know, ready to throw up my, my kidneys. I was just so sickened do, doing this process because it was so, it, I, it was exposing. It's very different doing the vagina monologue. Oh yeah, it's totally different. Because the vagina monologues, you're given a character basically, or you can make your own character and you're given a script and you play this part and you read it and it's very powerful and it's beautiful, et cetera. With the awesome, difficult work of love, um, we had to talk about our own shit our own pain and there were eight storytellers and um it was you and camilla ross um who also is a local in town who's got the emerson theater collaborative and um the arts academy of sedona and these two women managed to make this show happen and i know for me personally once i got off stage i did not expect the response that i got um it was uh, so moving to have complete strangers and then people that I've known in town forever come up and say, I didn't know. Thank you for being so brave and just crying at, 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 at my own life. And when we did the monologues, the vagina monologues, it was similar. People weren't, didn't know what they were going to get and they walked out changed. I would say that they probably had the same experience with your astrology. Well, thank you. <laughs> A. Well, I, I want to say two things about that. I'm um, there's that that is my goal. When I stand in someone's chart, and what I was doing while you were speaking was bringing your chart up, even though I don't have my glasses, but I can see reasonably. Um, thank you. I just gave her my glasses. <laughs> they're um, they're um, do they work? Yeah, they do. That's for and it's it's so funny because I usually have twenty pairs around because I lose <laughs> them so easily. But at any rate, um, astrology saved me. And that always sounds so dramatic when I say it, but it gave me a way of looking at myself in the world. It's certainly not the only training that I had. 
I mean, I have an MA in psychological astrology. I, as an astrologer, synthesize multiple fields. I just got another uh, certificate about a year ago. Um, I've studied anywhere from ancient techniques to modern techniques. Um, but it gave me a way of looking at myself in the world. And when I step into someone's chart, the best way to describe it is I feel like I'm stepping into the miracle that they are. I mean, I do have absolutely, I do have a voice that shows up. There's, everything's confidential when I do a reading. There's two stories I'm allowed to tell. Uh, one of them, I was, one of my first professional readings was someone who I also waited on tables with that was an out-of-work actor in his 20s. Um, he was a playwright. He also happened to be gay. Now, first of all, out-of-work actors in their 20s do not have baby, babies, let alone gay men in 1987. Right. And I kept hearing that he was going to have a child with the arena, the house in the chart, the temple. If you think about houses, the temples of experience, mm -hmm. um, that rules children, also rules creative children. So I kept changing what I was hearing. And eventually we got to the end of the reading and I said, John, is there anything else you'd like to know? And he said, yes, my lover and I are thinking of hiring a surrogate. Do you see a child in my chart? And I was like, oh, yes, that's what I meant. But I was afraid. And I learned right then and there. I couldn't assume that because it didn't make sense to me, that it didn't make sense to other people. And this is tangenting a bit. But what happens is I walk in and you sense the miracle in my experience as a reader is I want people to be, or with my classes, because I'm trying to take astrology beyond the chart. So all of my astrology classes aren't astrology, astrology classes like learn this, learn that. I can send you places to get excellent training. I'm more, I tend to work with non-astrologers that are trying to figure out how to navigate their life in a more profoundly connected manner. And that's what I want people to experience coming out of reading. Yeah, I'm, and I sound really arrogant. I don't mean it that bad, bad, that way. I'm very good at predictive work. Yes, you are. I know that you are. And and, and that, that takes me back to the awesome, difficult work of love yeah. because of the email that you sent me after I finally right. sent you my draft, yeah. my final draft, you said, this is tragically beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I'd never had anybody, I've never read that, I've never heard anybody use those two words together. Mm. Tragically beautiful. And it it gave, I'm going to get emotional. I'm going to try not to get emotional. Don't get emotional, Linda. Um, it, it gave purpose. Mm. It was like, oh, yeah, this, this shit did happen to me. And it is tragically beautiful because it wouldn't have gotten me where I am today. I wouldn't be the person I am without those experiences. And in doing astrology with you and also working with you um, in, the, in these ways, it helped me to do exactly what you said. Um, what did you say? I, now, now I'm getting all emotional thinking about it. The, that it, 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 it just gave, it gave purpose. It helped me understand myself in a different way and the things that were happening to me. So it, it helps, it has helped me get out of my own victimhood and identify, you know, in the why, why me, why me? God knows I've done enough of that. I still do that at moments, but it's helped me to go, oh, because there's a purpose to this. Mm. It may be super tragic for me, but it's also beautiful. It's meant to be because. So you're looking at my chart. Are you looking at it? Right. Well, and I, I, one I want to correct for the audience. Yes, Her please. south node is in the third house. Her north node is in the ninth house. And her south node is 
all right, so they the joke, like I said, the Michael Luton joke, you know, it's what you would have finished um, in <laughs> five more minutes. When you have other planets of things along that, it adds an extra um, exclamation point, shall we say. Um, again, we're back to blurry eyes, but as far as I can tell, I count one, two, three, four. Most of the planets, let's just say that, right? Because there's only, there's like five. So there's a huge amount that Linda has coming in from a past life or even this life. Because see, you don't have to believe in past lives. We can just look at this life because there's always the setup, right, of our childhood, whatever happened. Right. Um, of it not being safe to speak her truth. Not only, it's not so much not being safe, you won't be loved. You will not be cared for. Yeah. Yeah. That was, and that was the fear. That's why it was so excruciating to tell my story. And, and you by directing and doing your job, which is, you know, to pull that creativity out of people and help mold it and make it real so that they can perform. It, it was, it was very difficult for me to do that. And, and that was exactly what I was experiencing was I can't, I can't say these things. I can't tell the truth because people won't like me. People will hate me. I'll lose my friends. I'll, you know, I'll, uh, people will talk and I, and I'm at that age. I mean, I'm in my fifties. I'm, I'm at that age where I really, I, I finally got to the place where I really don't care, but it's such a deep seated thing. And like you said, it comes from our childhood. And I think that that's part of what astrology does is it helps you, like you said, the setup, whether you believe in a past life, in past lives or not, here's what you came into the world with. Here's what you were handed. And this is why these things have happened. Now, here's your, the thing I find is that it's a powerful tool to help you understand yourself. So what's my, if my ninth node or my, not north, my north, 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 north node is in Aries in the ninth house, the ninth house rules broadcasting, hello, <laughs> um, publishing, um, it, it rules, honestly, I look at a ninth um, ninth note, <laughs> ninth house, uh, North node in the ninth house. And I think it's about learning to believe in yourself, being willing to take a leap of faith. Now, wherever a North node is, I repeat what Stephen Forrest said, it is about, you know, you're dumb as a post. If I use myself as an example, my North node is in the fifth house of, um, self-expression. And I have three planets in the 10th house, which is about being seen. So using myself in a shameful example of how I've been, how, how I had, I was the originator of, in fact, I approached them, a Sedona Monthly's astrology column for four years. That was who I was. But I was afraid that people would not take me seriously. Here we are years in if they saw me as an astrologer. So what I did is I used my full name, which is Melinda, my legal name, and no last name. So there were all sorts of people around Sedona who, I'm, who knew me as a PR guru or a director or had been on the Verde Valley Sanctuary Board, and they were blown away because they felt they were accurate. And they'd come to me and they'd go, Mindy, <laughs> or, you know, and but and and at that time when Deb and Joe, um, the original owners of the magazine, it may still be true, I don't know. That magazine was in Barnes and Noble throughout the world. It was on airplanes, and I want to be a professional, and I'm using an assumed name. And so much of my chart is about not hiding. And and I say this not to talk about me, but to say to you that whatever we're here to to learn, um. You know, about 15 years ago, I started referring to the birth time as the arrival time and the death time as the departure time. It's like we're in a tour. The entire time we're here, we're working on something. It's not about doing it perfectly. It's not about figuring it out. We're turning it into an art form. So this is <laughs> your demon, using the word lightly because right. I just think that's demons are crap, but that's me. Um, <laughs> using it lightly, our inner, your inner thing, that pattern, you'll get 
back top back into your old patterns of thinking or your old patterns of pleasing other people. You know, you've, your south node's in Libra. That's ruled by Venus. Venus wants to please people, so they'll be drawn to her, so they'll be loved. Your north node's in Aries. It's Mars. That's the god of war. <laughs> All right? <laughs> that's a little bit of a conflict. <laughs> well, it's it's not so much a con. You know, I, I and I, I say that jokingly, but... Um, Mars is about going after our desires. That the six week class class I had this morning uh-huh. um, is called Thresholds, and it's a six week class about activating Mars. And we've been dealing with how what obstacles do we put in our own paths? And looking at everybody's chart, uh, we've been having them explore what their deep desires are through visualizations. It's all been about inner work, and their eyes are all changing. But we're so taught to go out there. You know, we're back to Dorothy and Glinda, and you have the power in you all along type thing. Right. But, yeah, so with the, you know, and can I borrow your glasses again? Yes. <laughs> um, where is Mars? You can uh, talk about my chart all you want. Right. Right. So you, you've got your north node in Aries in the ninth house. So that means it's ruler, meaning the god in charge is Mars. You have Mars and Virgo in the second house. So, one, Virgo feels all the time like it has to put everything in order. Oh, that's totally me. Chaos is totally frightening. And then I'm looking, I look at Nathan like, you know, you know, everything has to be in order. <laughs> and then it's in the second house, which on the one hand is money. But you know what it's really about on a psychological level? Mm. Self-worth, valuing yourself, valuing what you desire and making it, letting it be sacred would be another way of putting that. See, people need to hear that. That's that's what I mean. I mean, you, you and I know that you do this. You're a counselor. Mm-hmm. You help you help people. How, what how do you label what you do in that in that way? Well, I've because I'm not licensed. I right. You know, I cannot say I I do therapeutic work. I've I've I keep coming up with a name like astrological midwifery. I use the chart as a basis, but we're doing long term deep therapeutic process work, whether with arts, I mean, or otherwise, I have one client I've had for four years, right? We see each other weekly via Zoom. Um, I, um, we do inner work, we mirror with the, and, and inner work is beautiful. You change, I know I say it in my blog all the time, but I know through my own experience that my clients, you change your inner world, you change how you relate to yourself. You know, there's um, the map of the iceberg where they talk about consciousness. 10% of our consciousness is conscious awareness. 90% is in the subconscious and the unconscious mind. Below the surface, below the the water. The puppeteer. Yeah. And so when we're doing inner work, beyond the fact that that's where all creativity comes from, our patterns that we keep somehow repeating and we're like, how is it that I'm doing this again? Like I dated the same man so many times. He had different gray skin, different costumes, did different things, but it was the same guy. And I had to realize the common denominator was me. And so when you do inner work and you look at yourself with kindness, because I've never met anybody who, and they may speak a good game, but inside they're beating themselves up. I've never met anyone that is too kind to themselves in an interior world. And when you pull back all the parts of ourselves that we put away because they were rejected in childhood, you know, we do what we get approval for as a child because we all want to be loved, even without the stuff in Libra here, right? Right. We're, we're all looking to be loved. So we tend to amplify the area that we get applause for, and we tend to let the other parts of ourselves be hidden or even atrophy. Or dumbed down. Dumbed or down, yeah. right. Yeah. And so this is about reclaiming parts of ourselves. 
Um, and that takes time and patience. It is not a weekend workshop. You are you are a midwife in 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 the essence because you're helping people to birth a new part of themselves. But you're also there with them during this germination stage and while that 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 fetus, if you will, mm -hmm. grows within them and you and you help support them so that when the time comes and they're ready to birth this new part of themselves, they can do it well. Well, well and here's what's amazing. And I and I know it sounds as woo-woo as it is, but I it is like stunning to me personally. As you do this inner work and you really learn what it means to love yourself, to reparent yourself, you can use any clinical term you want and the, what the practice of that is. And your inner relation changes, ships change. Magically, the outer world, without you doing anything, steps up and meets you. I'm going to paraphrase my favorite Carl Jung quote, which is... Um, when we, what we don't integrate on the inside shows up on the outside dressed as fate. In other words, the world's your mirror. And it has been astonishing to me, my own experience of how the more I opened myself to myself, the more I was willing to be vulnerable just to myself, to care for myself, to be, and, and, and I'm less selfish even because I have, I have more to give within it, right? Miracle after miracle, things that I thought were impossible, things just keep showing up and growing, and it's very little effort on my part. And things have always fallen my way, you know, like we told those stories in the beginning. And again, I don't think I'm unique. I just think I'm alert to those. But that is the power of doing inner work. Um, it produces miracles. And we, even we go to the, A Course in Miracles, you know, it's defined as a miracle is a shift in perception. Did it help you? This, this, um, the, what you're talking about, um, while you took care of your mom? Um, yes. And that started with astrology. I had seen, um, so I, the voice I have that tells me things in reading that I love being backed up by the math because to me, the math is proof. It's not trying to impress anyone. It's math for Christ's sakes. It's right. formula. Um, I have to just rely on math with my own chart because I'm, a little bit subjective <laughs> about my own life. And I had looked at that period of my life approaching for years. And sure, I thought my mom was going to die. It just made logical sense. But I could never, ever in a million years imagined um, what actually happened, which, you know, for listeners, I ended up moving both my mom and my stepfather into my house. In fact, the last time you did vagina monologues, my stepfather died during tech week. Oh, God, right? I remember. Right. So you see, that was the kind of insanity that was just going on. Um, my mom went over a period of five months. She was in and out of the hospital 10 times. She was in rehab. There were medical mistakes. We went from a woman walking and using a um, iPad and being engaged in the world to a woman who was bedridden in a wheelchair. And even the last year of her life, I had to feed her as well as change her, bathe her, et cetera. So I was in Linda knows I was in quarantine a full year before COVID. I was right. just, and I honestly feel that the universe put me in a timeout. That period ended up, not just because of my relationship with my mother, mm -hmm. that period ended up being the most profoundly beautiful period of my life. My cats are acting up for everyone in the background, causing trouble. Is that the noise? <laughs> yes. What is that? <laughs> That's why I laugh. Um, one, my work, I've been trying to 
figure out how to expand astrology beyond the chart for years. That was birthed out of this. I've got three books I'm writing. I've figured out how to combine astrology and theater. I'm actually working in my first project with a partner in L.A. Um, because the storytelling goes together. And this happened out of me being stuck. I could not leave that even before COVID because when someone's that vulnerable, they can catch a cold from you and it's, you know, a death sentence. So you, I did not want to be the one bringing that in. And so I could go to the grocery store. I might meet someone for lunch. And I had 42 people die during that period. Some of them close friends. I mean, it was just this. 42 people? 42 people between November 2017 and when my mom died, October 21st of 2021. Six of them very close friends. Very close friends. And, um, I mean, one was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Uh, my friend Debbie Grogan, she was from Flagstaff in February. She was dead in December. So, so the people that you lost were not to COVID. It was just you lost 42 yeah, people. Yeah, there may have been one person I lost to COVID. It was not COVID. It was life. Life. It was and, death. That and, found and, that, naturally. And, and it was actually Pluto was on a very particular part of my chart. Actually started my midheaven. It started in 2014. That's when my parents' illnesses started. And then I have a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in my 10th house, which is who you are out in the world. And that really changed right in this. It hit exactly. Irwin died. Hmm. And then it hit Saturn exactly. And my mom became incapacitated. And my students, I predicted my mom's death within a three-hour period. Oh, my God. And I didn't that, know that was, yeah. And my students were like, how did you do that? And it's, all right, so let's just admit, um, charts are my cocaine. <laughs> Astrology is <laughs> my cocaine. And I was trying to figure out, by then, I didn't want my mom to, it's your mom, Right. And I did not know how much longer I could do this. You know, solitary confinement makes people crazy. Oh, it does. And, and I, I, I mean, I took care of my, my your parents dad, yeah, and, and my dad. Yeah. And thankfully, when he was actually his time where he was bedridden, it went very quickly. Um, but I can't imagine two years of being homebound. Right. And it's well, and it and all these amazing things. And it was because so when I say. I like to call this an astrological compass. That's the name of one of the books I'm writing. Excuse me, an alchemical compass. So if you and I, when we, the chart is a snapshot of the moment you were born. As I said, your soul picks it. So if you and I were rafting the Colorado River together and it's all calm, we'd be taking pictures of the eagles and the rocks. But we have this map, this compass that tells us that <laughs> around the corner, there's a stage five rapids. Now we still have to swim through those rapids, but we can lean in. And that's what I did is I leaned in. I, by that far, had was accomplished enough and understood enough that I had picked this. So why reject something you picked if my soul picked this, you know? That's well, a great way to, like you said, to lean in to navigate through your life because you've, it's a form of acceptance of seeing it as it may be certainly tragic, but it's also beautiful. It's receptivity. And how many people do you hear that say, I'm so good at giving but not receiving? Oh, Totally receptivity is being willing to receive your life without judgment, no matter what is going on. That, it, it was, it was, here's the joke. It was far harder when my dad died and with John, and part of it was I was 23. This was hard. I mean, it was complicated. But I can profoundly say this period has been, the most beautiful period of my life. And that does not mean I was sailing through it. I was an absolute bitch on wheels sometimes. <laughs> All right. But it's, but I kept just leaning in and working with it. And I, I and I'll say to everyone, I, 
there are obviously more than two, but I, I believe there are basically two ways to do, um, they're called transits and progressions is how you do predictive work. And there's different types. There's two ways to do them in your chart. You can lean in like we're speaking about, or you can be dragged into the future like a screaming toddler. <laughs> I've done both. I recommend the former. <laughs> and that's, and so that's the thing. We really are living, what astrology has taught me is that, our lives really are this sacred hero's journey that we pick. So why are we rejecting what we picked by making it wrong? Which might still be my first instinct at times. or, But very quickly, I slide into something else. Everything that you went through, the beautiful tragedy, the tragically beautiful, set you up to be the voice that you are. You know, you can look at any epic novel, whether it's Lord of the Rings, whether it's Harry Potter. I like using Cinderella because everybody knows Cinderella, right? Right. Cinderella would not have been Cinderella if her mother hadn't died and her father hadn't married that bitch. Right. It was intrinsic for who, her going to the ball, for her learning to rely on something big to trust. Everything that happened that got her that ball was an act of faith. And... Our stories, that's what the math proves to me. Because the mathematical formulas are so precise. I mean, there are different formulas that are used, but this rate of planetary movement as that NASA uses the same rate of planetary movement for other measurements. Well, well there you go. <laughs> that's the, I think, um, when I said earlier, you know, how to explain it for those who are afraid of it. I think that, the reason why we live in any kind of fear is because we don't understand something. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, the old saying that knowledge is power. Well, if you know something, if you study something, if you're willing to open your mind, open your heart, step out of your own way, let go of your, your ego, so to speak, and, and consider something that's outside of what you may you, you, you like you said like we were talking about how how the church separated um the spirit from the what were you saying you said how, how spirituality from spirituality science. from science how, if you're if you can allow yourself to do that it doesn't mean that you're going to be swallowed swallowed up by some sort of evil entity and the devil's going to take your soul and you'll be damned to hell forever like you have to be willing to let that kind of thing go to consider that there might be tools and science and things available that are not scary. They're just different. They're new from what you've known before and that they could actually help you. Well, and look at it this way. They will help you. And um, in, I, I mean, I can speak to my own modality more than anything. It is showing you how profoundly you are connected to something bigger. And in that note, I have a question for you. What happened in early 2005? Me? Yeah, you. Early 2005? Uh, early 2005? Uh, probably around well, my, February. Well, my mom died in December of 2005. All right, so this is that year. This is before then. So right bef uh, shortly before my mom fell really uh, sick. Oh, 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 let's see. 2005? Oh, I think I went to the Grammys with my friend RJ. Went to the Grammys. I don't know. I that makes a lot of sense for this, and I'll explain why in a second. Well, I do know that I had asked, um, I told my husband I wanted a divorce. Mm -hmm. 
in 2005. It was building to that. Like I could go back to my journals and look at February 2005 and tell you exactly what happened, whatever it is you're seeing in my chart. But um, I was going to a therapist at the time and she said, uh, you cannot go through your mother's death and dying, her, her dying and death, you know, death process and a divorce at the same time. You've got to put the divorce on the back, on the back burner. And I did. There, right. So here's the interesting thing. This is why I asked about that specific period. Um, right. You're a Leo rise. Um, what, with a rising sign, whatever sign is the rising sign, the planet that's in charge of it is, is called the chart ruler. So in this case, in Linda's case, that means that her son is the ruler of her chart. And our son, everybody knows their son. They're like, I'm an Aquarian, I'm a Taurus, blah, blah, blah. What the sun is, is it's spirit leading us forward. It's the newer energy. The moon is where we live, actually, but the sun is the newer energy. The transiting north node of the moon, which is how I predicted my mother's death, and it's not, a node is not just about death. I'm just using that about example. That's why I said the Grammys. Mm -hmm. The transiting node was on your sun. So, first of all, Leo Rides needs to shine anyway, even though you were born near midnight. Um, it, and by the way, charts are always hysterically funny and full of irony too. Hey, we want her to shine. Let's put her, put her son in the most hidden part of the chart. Um, there, um, it is coming up again and it's not, it may be like a little January, it may be March, but the dead hit would have been in February and you've got that hitting again this year in September. Hmm. And so what you're going to want to look at is the theme. The, the time before that it would have happened would have been 1986. That's the year I graduated high school. It might be 85. Yeah. So you see there were big changes yeah. in your life. So um, it's the transiting node hitting your sun, and that's going to sweep across all that stuff. All right. So the more we're working consciously with ourselves, first of all, even if it was really crazy stuff, like my dad died when the nodes squared my nodes and then my life died in 2003 when the nodes squared my nodes I lost everything and so I was looking at this come come up and I'd never been able to see my dad's um death in my own chart because again it, I'm subjective and I the March before my mom died I put my dad's death chart the time you know his death certificate chart around my mom's chart and I could see exactly where it was and all of a sudden I could see how that hit my chart mm. and it was coming up in October Mm -hmm. And then I was looking at other things, but that's the broad thing. When this happened to me in 1986, that's why I could remember the date just like that, mm -hmm. when I got in Second City. When it happened to me again in 2005, that's when my PR business took off. My income like quadrupled overnight. And Nice. Right. So it's hitting your son, which is your chart ruler, which makes it even bigger, in September. And so... We're using Linda as an example here. She yeah, just became a my, guinea pig my eyes, on, the my, on the podcast. My Let's eyes are that. so big right now. I'm like, what does this <laughs> mean? mean? What does it mean? Right. So all the inner work you do, whether it's through journaling, through meditating, through being willing to get, you know, what, what I was doing, like when you talk about awesome, difficult work of love, is I was just coaching you or counseling you. I wasn't accepting your small version of yourself. I was doing it nicely, but I wasn't going to play. And, <laughs> right? And so... The more work you can do, it doesn't have to be formal meditation. Walking in the forest, putting on music and dancing is meditative. Mm -hmm. 
But the more you listen to yourself and gaze upon yourself with eyes of love, in fact, loving your fear, because all that is is a wounded part of you that you get to be the parent to, like you were to Isabella, Mm -hmm. and care about, and not shame. When we shame ourselves for that, it just magnifies it. The only cure for shame is love. So you've got this coming up. To me, this is a really exciting period full of opportunity that is approaching. Our trick is leaning into it and knowing that our soul will, you cannot screw your life up. Your soul will get you where you need to go. Again, screaming toddler leaning in, but your soul will get you where you need to go. And so I guess that's it. With doing all this work, and you know, I want to thank all of my clients, whether it's astrology or counseling or students, because and, and directing is everyone I worked with and working with them. It's not just me I learned this through, it's because I'd see it with them as well. And that you get to the point where you you just trust what unfolds. It does not mean you don't get afraid. So I had a health scare at the beginning of the year. Did I tell you about this? I don't think so. Because I haven't told a lot of people. I um, So first of all, let me just acknowledge that my dad died of metastasized melanoma. It was a 1A. He was told they'd gotten all of it, and he was dead four and a half years later. Hmm. So I had a biopsy done on something in my arm in December, and it took forever, and it took forever, and it took forever. So I knew that something was up. And on January 5th, I think, uh, the doctor called at 442. I know I've ran a chart on it (laughs) and ran a chart in the biopsy, too, and I knew something was there just looking at the chart. Would not have selected that time if I had had an option. At any, Not that you could have changed it, right? Right. Less than 48 hours later, I had surgery. I have a lovely, what is this, five-inch scar in my my arm. Yeah. And I was numb the first few days. And, and, and he, the doctor here, I know of a doctor in Phoenix, had forgotten about my family history. I said, we don't need to look at your lymph nodes. We don't need to get blood tests. And I called one of the few friends, Linda Goldenstein, um, and told her that I, this had going on, I was going on. And it was when I t- was speaking to her. I, how are you with scatological language on this podcast? You can say whatever you need to say. I it's was absolutely like... terrified, right? And I um, didn't realize it until I was talking to someone about it, right? And she's such a good person to talk to. Right. I and, love Linda. And she's one of my dear friends. We've yeah. been dear friends, close friends for years. And I, um, and that was there. For, and then I did things, but it was there for maybe 72 hours. And then... Then I click back into this space I'm talking to you guys about, about trusting. I mean, the gift I got out of it, it was once again, when, you know, I'm 62. I'm not going to hide that either. So already my mortality was more in my face because, you know, my logic is, okay, well, you see people are really good usually until about 80. You know, most of the women live to be in their 90s. I wasn't worried about that. But the last few years, you're, you're losing you know? so many people. So I don't have time to screw around with right. what I want to do with part A. And then all of a sudden when it might be five years, and the truth is, for any of us, 42 people dead, mm-hmm. anything can happen. And somehow it released me so that, yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff going on right now that is complex and messy and uh, things I haven't done before where I'm putting myself out there, um, things I'm negotiating, um, but I'm in this like Zen place with it. And that was the gift of this melanoma that scared the hell out of me. And that's what I mean by these, when I say to you, practicing something else. And I love the word practice. And on my bad days, I'm practicing every five minutes to get off of it and need waders up to my armpits. Right. 
you know, but so you've got, and it just kind of kicks something off. And that actually makes sense when you talk about your mom and other things going through mm -hmm. that is going to be going on. Um, your life is radically going to change in the next couple of years. That does not mean bad. Right. Doesn't mean something you have to be afraid of. No. Actually, it's something I can be excited about. Right. And that you pick. That's the thing to remember. You pick this timing. So it's trusting your choice. And that's the other thing about going within. That's how we learn how to trust our instincts. And so it becomes, if you look at it, I picked it. What's the prize out here today I picked? And see it as Christmas morning, you know. Well, thank you for that. I think we're going to need to have yep. full reading very soon <laughs> <laughs> to help me fully integrate what you just said. So, um, so you, all this time that you've been in Sedona, I want to, I want to just talk about the, the, um, how people can find you. Like if somebody hears this and, and they, it really resonates with mm -hmm. them and they feel like they want to talk to you to get from you what your gifts are. Um, I mean, cause like you were talking in your, in your late, one of your latest blogs, um, cause I get Mindy's news newsletter, you were saying how this month, uh, cause it's uh, tomorrow, there's a new moon. Yeah. Oh, tonight. Oh, in our tonight? We're, yeah. It's 12.05 PM Sedona time. Right. And today as we're, as we're recording this, it's Sunday the 19th. Yeah. Yeah. It's the 19th of February, 2023. Um, one of the paragraphs in your blog, you talked about how love is the root of everything. Yeah. Can you just elaborate a little bit on that with this month? Well, and, uh, and this month, I'm particularly heading into March. Okay. So let me say a couple of different things. All right. This new moon is in Pisces. Um, and it's overall, it's a really, really beautiful new moon there. You know, I could talk the planetary jargon. Pisces, and, and again, there'll be some astrologers or their traditional astrologers that don't agree with this. I use traditional techniques, but I, I'm a modern astrologer. So I use the outer planets. Traditional astrologers use them, but not as much. They stay away from Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. I tend to call them the unseen planets because Uranus, uh, the last planet we can see with the naked eye is Scorpio. I mean, Saturn. Okay. <laughs> and it's an S word. I'm, you know, 62. Yeah. <laughs> They're, um... And um, so Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto are beyond our sight. Uranus is an 84-year cycle. Uh, Neptune's 169. Pluto's 248. They move very slowly. Uranus is the only one that, if we live to be 84, gets all the way around. Mm. They're considered to be, in modern astrology, the higher vibrational octave of the inner planets. Mer um, Uranus is the higher octave of Mercury, Pluto is the higher octave of Mars, and Venus, Neptune is the higher octave of Venus. Venus is personal love. It's our values, what matters to us. So another way, if we use Linda as an example again, her south node is in Libra. Venus is its ruler. Um, that means part of what she came in here to finish up was standing for her personal values. Mm. All right? Really what's really important to her. To, she's talking about me. Yeah, there. <laughs> right. Neptune, on the other hand, is the higher vibration of love. It's basically the idea that we're all connected by love. I like seeing it as a form of gravity, that that magnetic force is actually what is holding all of us together. It, and by the way, other people bitch about Saturn. I bitch about Neptune, just to be clear as I say this next thing. <laughs> it's, um, it's all about knowing we're all interconnected about love. To make 
Neptune work, the trick is you have to go within and trust that inner heart and that inner voice. Neptune says love is a power. It's not personal. It's what glues us together, and that's the truth. Where Neptune goes wrong is Neptune also rules illusion, denial, betrayal, drugs and alcohol, film and all creativity, fog. And to make Neptune work, you can't get caught up in how it looks on the outside. But Neptune as its whole is a hierarchy is about love as a power. And we tend to think, oh, I love them. It's an emotion. Well, you guys know you're in a long-term relationship. Is every moment full of butterflies? There, so almost, almost, yeah. <laughs> We're lucky, <laughs> yeah. But you know, but there's in even friendships, yeah. You know, and that's part of being able to trust is to get. It's a commitment to to stay in a point of looking at someone else with love, and looking at ourselves with love. There's that practice. And so when I say you do the inner work, you learn how to look at yourself. You learn how to practice looking at yourself with love. Well, love's magnetic. And and love is the theme of February, you know, with Valentine's mm-hmm. Day. And so I found it really interesting that you were writing about, you were sharing the the myths behind yeah. the, behind the, uh, the, uh, the stories, the myths. Right. And how, what was it? How, um, how Neptune even came to be and how Venus came to be. Yeah, right. And the whole dynamic of the, them, who was it? All right, it was, so it's your, so the story goes, the first was Gaia. Uh, right. And she didn't want to be alone, so she created Uranus, the sky god, to come and lay on her at night. And they had a great love, and they were very, very fruitful, had many children. Right. But then children started to be born that Uranus didn't like as much, like the Cyclops, the Giants. He just was horrified by them. So he didn't let them be born. He shoved them back into the caves of the earth, the womb of Gaia. And as you might imagine, a mother was not too happy about this. So she got one of her sons, Saturn, the eldest, to overthrow his father. And how he did that is he castrated him and tossed his member into the ocean. That Botticelli that we see all the time of Venus that everybody loves so much, Venus arose from that moment of violence. She's pure creative energy. Uranus got his procreational ability cut off. Venus was instantly recognized and taken to Olympus and covered in jewels. She didn't have to earn her position. Love is not something that is earned. It's something that is. And that's its power. It is our conditioning when we believe that it needs to be earned. I have um, a counseling client recently that was talking to me about uh, she's his ex-girlfriend, but there's been this back and forth. And um, the woman actually said to him, well, you did this, and because of that, there are consequences. And that's just so, and I get it. I've wanted to consequence people, too, in my life, right? I grew up in a father who was really good at consequences. But her consequence was really withdrawing her love, and which was mirroring his childhood, which is what happens. Mm. And then we creep recreating that pattern. Learning not to withdraw your love, to use your love, to make someone else earn your love. They are simply worthy of love. Now, that does not mean you need to be in a a committed relationship with them, right? But love is an extraordinary power. When I spoke about being in this place, it's also your relationship with life itself. If we are glued together by love, life is this... To me, there's an energy that life itself, our experience of life itself is this energy. We often call it the universe. 
it is responsive to us. It mirrors us. And so the more we trust life, our life, we're entering into an intimate, trusting relationship with ourselves and the universe. When we speak about everyone, we forget often that we are part of everyone. And I guess, I don't know, it's, it's, love is just, it, to me, it's more than an emotion. It is an action, it's a power, it's a commitment, it's a way of being and moving. And it's coming, it's it, this moon today. It, yeah, it, it encapsulates that. And it's, and it's really important, you know, and it's the beginning. And, and you set your intentions during the new moon. It's not like turning a light switch on. And you're setting something into motion that kind of unfolds over a six-month period until we'll have the Pisces full moon in September. And that's when I have big things happening is in September. Yes. Among others. Yeah. And that's just <laughs> looking at one point in your chart. The other thing I, I will say for everybody listening, March is a big, 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 big month of change. And you're saying that like for everybody? Like planetary? Everybody, planetarily, because we have Saturn leaving Aquarius and it's been in Aquarius since late 2020. And we have Pluto. And, and so Saturn's entering Pisces. And then we have Pluto entering Aquarius. And Pluto stays in a sign. Pluto entered Capricorn in 07. So so what does this mean when you say there's well, big change coming in March? Well, all right, we do all right. So that is when the year starts really energetically shifting. Pluto, excuse me, Saturn firmly moves into Pisces. You know, Pisces is in the same way we're talking about this new moon, is a, a, a sign all about merging and connection. Saturn creates boundaries. So it's, it's dissolving walls. We could look at it. There's so many ways to look at it, but dissolving walls that we've put in place and may not remember, you know, um, because Pisces dissolves things. It merges things. It shapes so, shifts. So would you say that then, March, um, that things, things that we've consciously or unconsciously, individually and collectively put up, these walls are going to come down? They're going to begin. Saturn's there for two and a half years. And it depends what area of your chart it's moving through. So, for example, I have Saturn going through my 12th house, which rules the unconscious mind, which has been great for writing and creativity and, and things like that. Um, in your case, you've got Pisces in the 8th house and ninth house. It's going to be in um, the first two years. It's going to be in the 8th house, which is about surrender, trust, and letting go. God, what is it not about surrender, trust, and letting go? Oh my God. <laughs> well, you've got Moon Pluto, but it, your life. Um, there, <laughs> there, and I'll just say that. But it's, you know, or, um, you know, so you, I, if you have Pisces on the midheaven, it's about, it could be career, but it's about how you put yourself out in the world. Um, if you have it going, I have several clients with it going, where Saturn will be going through their first house. It's about pulling away, um, Taking responsibility, Saturn always wants us to take agency. It wants us to be the grown-up, the parent. Mm -hmm. Taking agency for who, how you see yourself and how you move through the world through the first house. First house is a house of self. Second house, taking responsibility for your finances, but your self-worth and what you really want to do in your life. Yeah. Um, if it's your third, you know, I could also be doing this by sign because th there is, that's, when I used to write horoscopes, it's the same thing. So you could say that if you're an Aquarian, Sat which I am, Saturn will, through your solar house, be moving through your second house, which is about, you know, taking responsibility and being a parent around your finances. I'm in the middle of refinancing a mortgage on the house I inherited. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's that. 
Well, thank you. Yeah. And so we we all collectively have March to look forward to. So like if they if somebody wanted to find you and they wanted to mm-hmm. work with you, how would they find you? Um my website is mindymendelson.com, M I N D Y M A N D E L S O H N.com. Um you can sign up. I blog roughly weekly. Sometimes it's every 10 days. I never solicit. I hate solicitations, so I will not do that. I will make class announcements, but I don't solicit. Um, I just see the blog as an offering. So people can read your blog if they want to get to know you. They can go to MindyMendelson.com to book a, an appointment with you or talk mm-hmm. to you, a counseling session or astrology session. But then you also have your Artist Way classes, which I know you're starting right away, and, and the next session, which will probably be too soon for people to sign up once they hear this podcast. But aren't you starting another one on Tuesday? Yeah, I'm starting, and that's I've got one space that's full anyway. Yeah, and that's amazing. She she fills up quickly. People like she's really good at what she does. That's why she, that's why I wanted to have her on the show. I I may 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 be teaching in the fall. That depends on my schedule. People who are in my classes can miss them. I can't. So I have to make sure in the case of Artist Way that I'm free for 12 weeks. Right. Yeah, that's a huge commitment. Yeah. But so is the Artist Way. It's a commitment to oneself. Oh, so right. for you to be sharing it with other people and I and I and I know that you're very good at it cuz I've, I've seen I've I've talked to people, I've read. I mean, Mindy's got gifts that um this is what our show is about is helping helping people with their own self-transformation by bringing conversations with the real people of Sedona to them. And this was a really, really good one, Mindy. I'm so glad I, I finally, <laughs> it's been like months. I'm like, I want to get you on the show. We need to do an interview. And we finally are doing it. So I'm really happy you're here. And thank you for giving, giving Nathan and me your afternoon and, and sharing. It's, it's really important. You've been through so much on your own journey and you've been able to lean in and take everything and turn it into all these amazing gifts. I mean, and I've experienced them. And I want to thank you for always being so kind to me. I mean, when I was going through such a rough time, I'm going to get emotional again. When I was going through such a rough time and I hadn't seen you in a while and I ran into you at Natural Grocers, mm-hmm. the way that you just spent time with me and like went onto your phone, looked at my chart and you like, you just, it was like, it felt so loving and so nurturing. And I'm so grateful. Thank you. I highly recommend that people, if this if this podcast resonates with you and you understand who Mindy is, please give her a call. Please look her up. It'll be worth your time. And she's a brilliant human being. And she's brought so much to Sedona and so much to my own personal life. And I just, I love you. And I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for, for being here today. Love you too. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on our evolution we hope you enjoyed what you heard and found some inspiration towards your self-transformation check out the show notes for information related to today's topics and if our vibe resonates with you we'd love a review on whatever platform it is you're hearing us on today share this podcast with your community and on social media so the heart of sedona can reach others who would benefit and remember our evolution is a revolution a revolution of love